Welcome to this week's edition of A Canadian Schoolie Podcast. This week I spoke with Peter Walford, who is a dentist in the Northern Gulf Islands in British Columbia. Peter is a relaxed academic who enjoys sailing and loves to learn from his many projects. Peter shares with us his slippery adventure on black ice, his innovative means of heating his bus with in-floor heating, and suggests building and maintaining relationships. Grab a warm beverage, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's edition of A Canadian Schoolie Podcast. All right, folks. So welcome to another edition of A Canadian Schoolie Podcast. Uh, this week, we have somebody very special uh, from British Columbia, has a unique story to tell us about not only one, but two schoolies that he's been using for a very unique purpose. And to jump right off, I'm going to ask Peter, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, hi, everybody. Uh, congratulations to you if you're on the site and, and to Dan for putting it together. Uh, you got a, a life-changing adventure ahead. Uh, I've been running school buses for 35 years, two of them. Uh, as a conversion uh, to house a dental clinic. Um, on these two islands, they're about a 45 minute um, journey apart. Uh, Hornby Island, Devon Island, they're called the Northern Gulf Islands. And uh, there's a 10 minute ferry ride. And then I go to one island for two weeks and then the next island for two more. So uh, it started uh, back in uh, 85 when I was in a little practice in the, the town of Cumberland, which is in the, in the Comox Valley, if you find that on your map. And, and I didn't mean much like the town people, uh, not, my, not my groove, but uh, uh, I love the Gulf Islanders. And so I decided I would start an outreach. And uh, at the time, um, I was busy enough, but like I say, I wasn't enjoying the kind of relationships I had with those patients. So I, I found myself the longest uh, school bus I could find. And I checked in with uh, one of my best patients who uh, was almost a mentor in terms of getting to the islands. And I said, do you think the, the population would accept a, a dental clinic um, housed in a bus? And they said, oh, for sure. Most of us came here on a bus and I still have one in the woods actually. So that was all I needed. I found the biggest bus I could find. Yeah, it took me about, uh, I think about 13 weeks to do the conversion, put in a single dental chair and uh, off we went. So that was 86 and uh, that bus went 17 years and it had been uh, registered in Ontario most of its life. And it was pretty rusty because obviously there was you know, salt on the roads. So I learned quite a bit about how rusty buses break down and eventually uh, found a less rusty one uh, for the second bus and then did that conversion with all the experience gained from operating that dental clinic for, for the 17 years. Yeah, originally I'm from, I'm from Montreal uh, and I left there when I was 28, just finished my degree. And of course, the whole province was in a ferment about language. I, I didn't think the prospects were very good for, uh, for being a part of an English minority. Uh, I probably would see my rights restricted and so on. So I, I took off for the West Coast and uh, no regrets, except uh, when, you, when you do take off, you lose your roots and it takes a long time to build them back. So I consider myself a West Coasty now, but it, I've been here for 45 years. So. It's, uh, it takes time. Yeah, right, dental schools really accept their, their, uh, their students on the basis of regionality. So it's much easier to, you have a favor, favorable advantage if you're from Quebec to go to a Quebec school. And, and so that was, that's how I got there. Uh, I'm not, no regrets about that. It's, a, it's still a wonderful culture. And most of the issues that drove me out at the time have been resolved. Uh, half my family stayed and half left. And the ones that stayed became 
fluently, uh, seamlessly bilingual, and uh, I could have done it, you know, but it, I was really afraid of schooling and other things for my projected family. I, it was just going to be a little too much to, to take on if it wasn't going to be fair, and it certainly didn't seem to be fair at the time. So as a dentist, your hands are very important to you. Yeah. Uh, it's your main source of income. Uh, mm -hmm. when, so you built the schoolie, the first one yourself in 1986. Uh, do you have, did you have skills or knowledge or experience of building to help you out? Um, I, I had a basic you know, uh, familiarity with, with simple projects with hand tools. Um, at the time, this is actually kind of an interesting story. The, the practice was on, on an alternative money system called uh, green dollars. Yeah, not it was not solely, but there was green dollars and there was normal currency, federal dollars. And it was the first attempt at a, a regional economy where you could have third party uh, exchanges. So I, I gave dental work for partly green dollars and partly federal dollars and accumulated a pretty good account. So when it came time to build the bus, I kind of sent a letter to my my green dollar patients and who'd got most of dentistry for half price or less and asked for some help to build the bus. And I just great people come out and. We had work parties and, you know, someone would come in with eight pizzas bought for green dollars. And, you know, we had these kind of work bees to sand the bus. And uh, and uh, and I found a really good, uh, amazing uh, carpenter to do the, the finishing work. And he, he he said he'd give me three days and took us nearly three days just to plan in detail. You know, just the way finishing work goes, you you start with the outcome and you have to work your way back to what you've got. And it's, you know, many steps in between. So. Uh, he was a master at that. He actually ended up giving me a whole month, and that bus is still a piece of art. It was a piece of magic that happened, and I really believe in that process, that collaborative approach between uh, you're, you know something you're trying to do and someone who might know something or know somebody. And, and a lot of that is how I've proceeded through these bus conversions. But I did not do very much hands-on for the for the first bus, but my second my second bus was nearly four thousand hours, and a good and you know of my own time over four years. Well, uh, so the first bus in 1996, uh, what did people think? Were other people converting buses at the time? Was that common or unique? Uh, no, I, I was the only one I could find in, in sort of Western Canada. You know, with the, the thing here, it wouldn't apply much for most of the rest of Canada. But in, in the winter, you only really have several, you know, a few weeks of, of sub-zero uh, with snow on the ground. So most of the time you can be comfortable in the, in the, the metal shell of a bus, provided you have, you know, a good heat system and you have, some, you know, insulated things a bit. So um, there was nobody else in, in the dental community in, in coastal BC uh, that had one. And of course, the reason would be that most of the small communities, um, the island communities, put it that way, where you might benefit from having a mobile to go from cover a few locations. Most of them, the other Gulf Islands are large enough. They say you need a base population of 3,500 people, and I have a thousand on one island and a thousand on the other. So I'm, you know, not not quite half, about 60% of a required base, but it's been okay. Um, but most of the other islands uh, are either too small uh, to, to warrant it or too big uh, to need it, and so they have a land-based clinic. So it's kind of a unique little niche. It just popped up. That's amazing. So usually, so my bus, for example, has been converted from a school bus into classified as an RV. What is yours classified as? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's uh, it's considered, uh, it's registered under the, you know, the uh, 
the categories of the Insurance Corporation of BC as a uh, medical laboratory. There's no, there's no, there's no category for mobile clinics of any kind, but they covered under that. Very interesting. And, and getting it, sorry, get, I was gonna as an afterthought, getting it insured was uh, was quite a quite a big deal because uh, they they only wanted to register it for the for the uh, the road you know the, the value of it for its age and anything after twenty years is only worth two thousand dollars on their books and I wanted to have it registered for about eighty thousand dollars because. If ever had an accident, all the installations that are hardwired into it would be damaged. So I wanted that covered. And in the end, they did do that. Excellent. So my vision, and I could be completely wrong, and I hope you correct me, is my vision is one of two things. One is you pull up to somebody's house and you do the dental work near them, or you pull up to a community space and people have appointments and come and see you. How does it work with your bus and your dental clinic on the Gulf Islands? What does it look like? Okay, well, um, it, 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 is the, it is the latter. I have uh, two fixed locations that I've used for 35 years. And I pull in there and I have four umbilicals uh, that we hook up. It's power in, telephone, internet, um, gray water, uh, drain, no, no black water, just gray water and fresh water input. And I have a little hut uh, next to each one that contains an air compressor and uh, central suction because that machinery makes a lot of noise. And I, it, if I have it wired into the bus, I did that, I did that on my first bus and it was just really hard to isolate the noise um, from the working space. So it's, it just seemed better to do it remote. So then, you know, as soon as I'm working, I can't really tell which one I'm at other than the way that it's oriented to the sun. And sometimes my staff kind of forget which island we're on even. So, uh, yeah, it's really like, like any kind of any standard dental clinic, except um, with the, for the hookups. Very cool. And how many staff do you have that would travel with you? Um, two, two certified assistants. They, they both commute to the job from off island, in other words, from Vancouver Island proper. And uh, so the ferry connection is pretty critical to our, our survival. And of course, in the winter, we start to have storms and and uh bad weather and outages and various things so sometimes sometimes i just don't get to work you know it's okay and they they come to the ferry and we usually communicate by our cell phones as to whether there's a day coming up we lost a day already this year gale but uh most of the time it's, it's other than that it's this pleasant little ride and when i'm on my the island i don't live on which is Demon island i, I generally hitchhike over it as part of my social life uh, and then uh, uh, ride a bicycle back. So it's kind of a built-in fitness thing. And I'm 74 and still, still pretty active and doing the work. And you know, I don't think I'd be nearly as good a shape if I'd if I'd had a you know a drive-to-work situation. That's amazing. So do you leave the bus in the location, or like when you go to work, you drive the bus to work? I only drive it the first day of my two-week span, and then it's it's parked there the rest of the time, and I'm. I'm shuttling back and forth to Hornby Island and, and then my staff are shuttling to, to Vancouver Island. That's very unique. And do you know of anybody else in the country that has done this with the dental clinic in this way? Uh, I, no, I don't. I, I do know of, um, the fellow had one on a boat for a while um, and then he eventually converted that to a houseboat because uh, he, he, was try, he was using the boat for recreation as well. So he found that, you know, having the dental chair in the middle was kind of difficult and 
and he could he could get two dental chairs into a houseboat and it was really tough to get one into a he had a 68 foot schooner and you know it was it just wasn't a really good fit he did that for about seven or eight years and then uh, i do know of a couple of dental hygienists to have kind of uh super vans you know they're like uh the ones that are really tall um dodge makes them mercedes makes them so uh, i know a couple of those that are dental hygiene clinics and they do the they do the first motor travel they they go to the door to door and and uh, of course i don't it's not a very efficient model because when you're driving you're not you're not earning any income so you know you don't you really want to just be in one place and other people come to you but the the eco benefit of it all is it's worth looking at i calculate how many people i see in a day and how many miles they would have to drive if they didn't come to me on the islands they'd be commuting to vancouver island round trip either 40 or 50 miles depending or kilometers rather depending which uh, island they're on and i i gross it all up and basically the miles that people don't drive to to go to off island to have their dental work done amounts to the circumference of the earth every year actually a bit more so i've saved 35 um circumferences of the earth uh from unnecessary vehicle travel in 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 my career so a little bit of a green footprint and that's over what did you say 45 years of a career yeah well 35 years in 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 bus and uh, but i had 10 years of experience before that wow very yeah. interesting and the bus that you have now what so is it a school bus that you had purchased the one that you're using at the moment they were both school buses and uh the first one was uh, a, a, a typical uh, engine forward uh, layout, uh, 38 feet. Uh, and it was a Chevy with a 366 V8 uh, and a four-speed manual transmission. And, and also of interest, um, uh, hydraulic brakes, uh, which, which when, they get, when the lines get rusty, are prone to you know, popping a leak. And of course, all of a sudden you're driving a bus and you pedal, your pedal goes to the floor and all you've got left is the handbrake and the transmission to try and bring the thing down to, to ground speed again. So that happened twice, actually. Wow. So I made a point. The, the second bus is, a, again, a 38-footer, but it's a cab forward Bluebird. <clears throat> and that, that's, uh, that's air brakes. So, of course, the default in an air brake is if, uh, if you lose pressure, it uh, locks the brakes on. So you get to stop instead of continuing on and on and on. So I... I never had, I never had a question or a reason to regret that choice. I think that's for a big bus, um, and I would advise any readers to if you're going to get air brakes, it's not a big deal, easy to qualify, um, but uh, uh, see if you can figure out by going to a heavy duty mechanic what the parts inventory is for the brake system because brakes are super cheap on on your 16 wheelers, but sometimes the school buses are set up with a different type of drum or different uh, brake shoe, which can be hard to service, you know, just hard to get parts, especially if it's older. And I'm in that place now where I'll never have to worry about it, but I did have to completely renew the brake system. And it uh, was hard to get those parts. I was, you know, sort of scraping the bottom of the inventory out there in society. Because after 20 years, most buses are off off the road, no longer able to carry students. And uh, so that if there's any product changes, uh, they're quickly obsolete. So that happened to me. Interesting. Yeah. So what about some kind of adventure? Have you had an adventure at some point with your clinic or your bus? Um, yeah, I learned about black ice. Um, and this was at my new clinic. And it, it was, I was uh, 
in the first uh, seven months of owning it, it put me into uh, into uh, mid early winter. I guess it was in January, and uh, I'd only had the thing on the road for about eight months or something. And uh, there's a very steep hill in one of the islands, and it, it, there's two ways to get across the island: kind of a one without a steep hill and one with. And normally, I take the one without. And it would, but was, I had a patient who was you know leaving the next day for for a long, extended. Uh, um, uh, schooling adventure in Israel and her, she wasn't, you know, she, she had a bunch of advanced decay that they've been really slow to bring in. So I felt, you know, compelled to treat, but it had snowed all night and uh, the roads weren't really well cleared. I made it down to the ferry, got on the ferry, but was spinning my wheels, just getting off the ferry. And the choice then between the, the, the route without the hill or the route with the hill was foreclosed. There were some trees down on the one without the hills. So I took the other road thinking, well, it's well sanded and it's had a couple of ferry runs going over. I'll be fine. So there I was at the top of the hill, my brand new bus, everything gleaming, two dental chairs and you know, insulated <clears throat> under the body and put uh, a special coating on the roof and inside the, the walls that increased the, uh, the, uh, the R value. So it was a beautiful shell and in-floor heat, uh, 40 different practitioners, 40 different Artisans came in and consulted with me, and some did work with, for me to, you know, improve the beauty of the installation. It was just a jewel. I'm the top of the hill, and I thought I'll just check the, the traction. It was clear, looked clear. There'd been some sand put down, and I just crested the hill, and touched the brakes, and absolutely nothing happened. It was black ice. And uh, I, you know, coming from Montreal, I I know how to drive in snow, and I'm used to managing a skid and. And uh, but this ice that you get on the west coast is it's, it's a different thing. It's this, when when you get snow just around freezing, it can be so slick. So anyway, I was on a ski hill down the road. The only thing I was going to be able to do was try and put the bus down the fall line. And the bottom of the hill there's a, a sharp left hand turn. So uh, as I approached the corner, I was you know pumping the brakes and it was locking on, locking off, hardly slowing down at all. So I was probably doing you know 45 kilometers by the time I had to turn left and so the only thing I could do was to hang the left front wheel into the snowbank and hope that would initiate a, a turn which it did and I started to slide sideways you know um, and fishtailing first one way then the other and there was a, a backhoe coming towards me and he saw me coming so here we are the two biggest vehicles probably on the island and we're about to collide so his response was to raise his bucket and uh, my response was to try and get the fishtail under control we managed to get by him sliding uh, he had a the cable on holding up a telephone pole the bus went into the ditch and started sliding you know section by section of the roof oil canning as I uh, as I was you know losing speed in the ditch but I came to, to rest uh, at a stop with everything from the high side of the bus cascading down with a huge roar to the low side. And I was one panel short of going past the, the, the telephone pole and completing a full roll, which probably would have broken out the windows and done untold damage to the side. But as it was, I stopped at that critical point and uh, I had a bunch of roof uh, reshaping to do. And that, that was about another 30 hours taking it to a shop and getting that done. And, Spent a few weekends on that, but nothing basically was broken other than um, I think we, we lost one paper towel holder and one of the dental chairs picked up and slid. So that was a big adventure. And as I went down the hill, I was my first thought was, uh oh, I have not got this bus property insured. I was still 
negotiating to be registered by uh, with ICBC as a medical um, laboratory, and they hadn't done that yet. They promised to to get something, but it wasn't in place. And so I was thinking my my beauty was about to turn into a piece of rubble, and I would be the fool for all of it. But anyway, luck was with me, and uh, so I just opened the driver's uh, side and jumped out about ten feet down to to the road and made some phone calls and got a big truck in and. And that particular storm, that truck had been busy for 28 hours, pulling semis out of the truck, out of the ditch, all over the Vancouver Island area. So it was a very treacherous set of conditions for a lot of big vehicles. Wow. But, I mean, I was lucky. I, I had pretty flat feet for a couple of days from the height of the jump that I came out of. But other than that, you know, none the worse for wear. That's amazing. And when, when you're driving a bus at such length, having everything locked down, even the artwork on your bus, if it's not secure, that stuff is flying everywhere. So you could have had dental chairs and drawers and everything else coming your way. Well, yeah. And if I hadn't, hadn't made that left-hand turn, the option, it was kind of a, you know, those cement barricades that are like, I don't know, eight feet long and two feet high. You know, they're, they have mass, but that bus would have just plowed it right off the road. I would have gone into what a 40-foot downhill airborne uh, trajectory and nosed into a forest you know and cab forward design you're about two feet from all that glass so I, I i would probably be dead actually if that had happened well and your patient who was going to school in israel what happened to her at the end of the day she had to find the dental a dentist in israel first thing she got there wow what an adventure so yeah. beyond adventure uh yeah. what about a mishap um, hmm. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's a pretty sedate little thing going back and forth. Um, I did at one point, I mean, you know, usually I, you forget the stories where your own stupidity is entirely at fault, but I, I had gotten ready to, uh, to leave and I have a, a bicycle carrier on the front of the, of the bus that carries two bikes. So, um, I'd done my one ride already that week. I had the second ride ready to go. And I had I had to do something to move. I had to move the bus forward um, to do something at the back. I forget what it was. I had to get at something. So, you know, I, I drove the bus forward. I hear this kind of clink, clink. Well, you know what I did? I ran over my bike. So, and uh, believe it or not, it bent the wheel and that was it. But, um you know, that was kind of note to self. And all the heavy duty, duty drivers will do this. They'll do a walk around before they start moving, you know. And it, it, it's one of the things you have to learn that, you know, over, over tracking uh, with a long vehicle, your rear wheels won't follow the front wheels by, you know, in the same line. So you'll, you'll drive over sidewalks and, and uh, you know, curbs and things like that at first when you first start. But uh, the walk around, you know, I think that, Anybody driving a vehicle, besides getting your license for air brakes, should uh, kind of study how how heavy duty mechanics or heavy duty machinery works, and and feel that you are part of that community. And what we know about automotive, you know, driving is is only partially applicable. There's a whole new realm of skill involved in uh, following distances. You know, you can't stop as fast. Uh, but beyond that, um, you know, you talk about putting things away on the dental clinic. I very seldom have to uh, uh, put anything away. I, you know, we, we have 
a few latches on all the things that do swing and move the the the, the operatory lights and the x-rays and so on um but uh you know it weighs 18,000 uh, kilograms so when you hit a bump it, nothing happens very quickly it does kind of you know there's a thump and maybe it goes up a millimeter or something but you know the same bump would throw you hard if you were in a light car but you know buses just tend to be like a like a like a like a cargo ship they just kind of on their way to where they're going and the, the wheels kind of you know comply with the road underneath without really affecting what happens in the, in the bus so it, it, it can give you a false sense of, of the security because because of that but it's true if you come to a sudden stop a lot of it will take off and especially it'll come forward so you know you do want to protect yourself from that i'd like to talk about how the bus heat works as well just just because that might be interesting for readers yeah the in-floor heating that yeah. sounds amazing yeah it was <laughs> the first bus didn't have that and boy you know i would come home day after day in the winter and i just head straight for the bath and and turn hot water on my feet and get them back to life and just kind of i was young i was a runner um you know i sort of had the vitality to withstand that but um for the second bus my dental assistant who who works standing up rather than sitting down she said she she was feeling it it was just she needed to have you know warm feet so we as as a as a team we started talking about it and then one day the guy came in uh patient came in i hadn't seen him before and he said i like your bus in fact i have one myself i said oh yeah tell me about your bus so he had this bus and he had a uh, he, he was a baker, so he would he towed a little um, um, what do they call them? Like a dome, you know, one of those uh, um, uh, um, brick and, and mortar type um, ovens behind him, and he did his baking that way. And um, and he he said he had in floor heat in his bus. I said, well, how do you do that? He said, well, and a fairly alternative guy. He uh, he. Uh, he took the the cooling pipes from from the from the engine and coiled them along the floor of the bus, and then he infilled with cob. You know, do you know what cob is? Yeah, so it's a clay mixture that's compacted. Yeah, it's sort of clay and straw. Uh, it, it kind of the forerunner to uh, to uh, concrete, really. Um, so anyway, uh, and then he go for a drive. To where he was going to do some baking, and by the you know he'd have heat in the floor. The cob itself had thermal mass, and uh, he'd have warm a warm floor for you know two or three hours. So I thought, well, that's not I'm not going to do that. But it did open the door for um, putting in for heat, and the choice would have been either in for heat or else um, electric. And the trouble with electric is uh, you. Uh, you get a lot of interference, electromagnetics and so on. I didn't feel that was really a good choice for something we were in all the time. And and in terms of trying to nail something to the floor, like a wall or equipment or something, there was no opportunity, you know, in, after it was built anyway, to try and, um, uh, you know, put a fastener through. So I thought, let, let's, let's not work with the electricity. Let's work with hot water heat. So it just got a little... Uh, uh, five gallon hot water tank and, uh, and it's plumbed uh, with 220 and then that uh, has a pump and the pump is thermostatically controlled uh, with a typical wall thermostat and you set what temperature you want to and when 
when the thermostat says it's too cold, it starts to pump going. So the, the tank is always on, and then it's uh, the, whether or not the pump is running determines whether you have a warm floor or a hot floor. And, uh, and the system of in-floor heat, of course, is much better known now than it was back in 03 when I finished the bus. But uh, it's, it's pretty, you know, basically you have to make channels and you can buy them prefab. Um, they're kind of a, a tile made of a particle board, if you like. But uh, it, 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 I wanted to have a more integral floor. I wanted plywood rather than a particle board. So uh, I set down my own um, uh, floor, set it in epoxy, actually, on top of the, the steel floor. And then uh, we, we got a router out and made, made the layout and, and cut all the channels with a router. It actually burned out two routers, routers completely just making the channels. Uh, this was all under the guidance of a plumber, of course. So anyway, uh, once that was done, we laid a, a quarter inch plywood floor over top of that and put lino down. And uh, so it was a clean, warm floor, um, basically gave me no trouble until eventually, uh, it was fairly thin vinyl. It was probably uh, a bit over an eighth of an inch thick. And it started to discolor under the pipes. They got kind of brown looking on a on a basically beige floor. So you can hold, you can see the whole grid after. I have 40, 40 uh, amps at, at 220. It's basically a dryer plug for the bus. So I have quite a bit of power capacity there. Um, so I electric, electric is the choice for me. But I would think it, you'd probably be looking more like 20 amps um, for a, a typical RV application, in which case you could divert, uh, um, you know, the energy um, source into, into, into propane and, and do just well, just fine with that. I mean, there, there's quite a few nice wall hanging uh, propane uh, heater units, marine and whatnot. So, but I, you know, I think in the longer run, warm feet is worth more than warm air. Well, there's a resource that I used at the time for, for bus design. And, you know, I did a lot of reading into the area one of the magazines that was going at the time was called Bus Conversions. And I don't know if that's still being made or not, but uh, that was full of people chopping the tops off their their uh, highway buses, you know, the, the old GMC flyers and whatnot, and and, uh, uh, and raising the roof to have a little more headroom and then, you know, putting it all back together. Multi, multi hundreds of thousand dollars, a lot of them. So kind of out of my range, but it was interesting to, uh, to you know, as a resource. And one of the resources I did find was this heat reflective paint, which again for cool weather, I think is a it's an essential. It, it it's it's a latex paint, um, non toxic. You can you can you know drop your two year old in it and wash him down and he'll be fine. Um, yeah, it rolls on with a high nap roller and give it has mica chip. It has a mica chip suspended in the latex and when it it's very flexible when it when it dries. And where I saw it was in Bus Conversions magazine. And they were talking about rolling it on the roof of the bus to reflect back the heat uh, in your in Arizona and different places like that where it is so hot, and uh, they could they found they could get by with less air conditioning. So I thought, well, fine. If it reflects heat back, it probably reflects heat in. And they they said I talked to the manufacturer, and yes, indeed. Then I found us. It was a U.S. supplier, and I found it. It's going to be hard to get that stuff over the border because it was five gallon pails. So I did started talking to industrial paint. Um, suppliers and I did find uh, I could get it from Canadian suppliers and it was pretty cheap I think it was about $150 for a five gallon pail and I, so I did all the all the steel walls from the windows down were done with that paint 
and uh, and then I so I did the floor, and then I put the uh, I put the, the plywood down after that, and um, when I say epoxy, I laid epoxy around the edges because I figured that's where you're gonna have the most condensation uh, in the you know in between a warm inside environment and a cold outside one. So I didn't want any any sort of dripping down the walls or whatever to get into the corners of the plywood. So I, I did the perimeter and then um, uh, I did it near the doors uh, and the uh, front of the doors. So uh, and then underneath, again, this is a really interesting thing. These buses generally come undercoated, but a 20 year old bus usually has multiple figure points in the in the frame structure. And, you know, the ladder, the ladder frame is pretty much the norm. We have two long longitudinals and then there's these cross. Well, neither the longitudinals nor the cross pieces are are galvanized, so you know that's where your corrosion is going to be. But outside, the skin is going to look great because that's galvanized, so it always looks. You know, my my bus is now what? It's a '74 Bluebird, so it's getting to be you know forty something years old, and outwardly um, it, it looks perfect, but the, underneath the frame was kind of a mess. So I got together with. Uh, Two guys in a in a I borrowed a friend's uh, heavy duty truck bay, and we had three air compressors going and three uh, air chisels. We chiseled all the undercoat off, and of course underneath was just was just rust. So that was a pretty gross, you know it was a pretty gross gross weekend, but we got it done. And then uh, I sprayed a rust converting material. It's a uh, it, it converts rust to a paintable plasticized finish. So we did that so that basically arrested the rust. As it was, I ran it all winter uh, uh, with that just that in place. Saw a few places where I needed to retouch that and create a second coat, and then we sprayed polyurethane foam on the whole understructure of the bus, just making space to so we could still get out anything mechanical. And uh, so then it was encapsulated in about four inches of polyurethane foam, which is closed cell foam, and the you know insects don't like it, and that sort of captures the heat of your floor. So between the heat reflective uh, paint on the walls and the roof and the foam on the underside and the, and the hot water floor though, it's a much better thermal envelope than what you get a standard bus at. And, uh, and but it didn't mean, we didn't want, I didn't want to lose any dimensionals uh, space inside cause you know, it's small enough. So this way all the, you know, it's just films and the, and, and something that's outside the, the floor. I, I, small spaces need more light than what we're going to give a house. Uh, so I thought, let's just keep all the windows in. A lot of the in bus conversions, you'll see them, they'll take all the windows out and they'll put other windows back in. And I, I can sort of see that, but you know, if you just panel over the windows you don't want, it, it's a lot less work. Um, so I kept all the windows, they all open. And in the summer, we've got, we generally work, uh, you know, I'd say seven months of the year, front door open, back door open, and a couple of windows open. Because between the heat loads of, uh, you know, three staff or three of us doing the dentistry, uh, two patients in the chair, a uh, little bit of solar gain, um, uh, and the machinery going, the autoclave generating heat, we need air. And, uh, and with the air and light both, uh, we can sort of, we can fine tune exactly the the internal environment. So I think taking out the windows is a big step, and 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 it tends to, you know, makes makes it hard to make the exterior look good without you know, some advanced skills. Because there's your window opening that's looks like it's supposed to be window opening, but maybe it's got a 
piece of sheet metal in. I don't know. I never liked it. Interesting. So, Peter, do you have any um, – I saw your picture. A friend of mine sent me a link. Uh, you were in a newspaper article somewhere, and that's how I reached out to you. Uh, do you have a somewhere where people oh, could yeah. see the look of the bus, like a website or social media? Yeah. Where would that be? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's online. It's Peter Walford Dentistry. That's all one word. Okay. There's a, the link at the top on the homepage is about Dr. Walford. And then you go into that, it'll say Hornby Demon Dental Clinic. That'll bring up um, about the bus and how it got made. And Cool. So somebody could go and they can look and see what the, the inside looks like. Now, when you go to dental conferences and, you know, there's a thousand mm -hmm. dentists or more in the room and they're doing... Yeah. what I generalize as a standard practice of somebody in an office and clientele come in. What do they think about you and your buses yeah. and traveling around the Gulf islands? <laughs> well, I don't know if I get an honest <laughs> when they turn their back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, some people, some people, it, it depends, you know, you know, we're, we're tribal, right? So, you know, if you see that you're similar to somebody else, you kind of accept them readily, but it must, it is, I think for the average person, it's like, well, that's weird. I couldn't do that. You know, that's, so people do categorize me, you know, I'm the hippie dentist or, you know, but I'm on the islands here, I'm kind of the straight guy. I mean, I have a job and I have a profession and, you know, I have to always be presentable and, you know, it's like, but I think the average dentist with a little bit broader perspective is curious. And I know one particular dentist, uh, from West Vancouver, which is quite a you know conservative, well you know prosperous area, he came in on a holiday, said hi, we talked, and asked me what kind of dentistry I did. I said, oh well, I you know I I teach a study club and I I, I do innovative stuff and uh, you know try to push the frontiers a bit. And he said, oh yeah, tell me what you do. I'm going to went into it a bit more. And he said, you know, you want to give a talk, so he invited me to give a talk in the in the Vancouver Dental Society. Uh, and that sort of launched me into a whole career of uh, giving seminars and, and uh, writing technique. And this, the website that I mentioned, Peter Wall for Dentistry, that, that's a technique site. It's not for the public, really. It's, it's for dentists to, to check out, you know, different stuff. And I'm assembling that into handbooks and whatnot. So uh, the thing I, I think I, I have worked at the hardest uh, is to take the uh, the the white materials which are basically additives to teeth and perfect the the method and to advance what you can do uh, to reduce costs for the patient and uh, you know big big jobs on a small bus on a big bus kind of my thing and uh, yeah big big jobs <laughs> so what do you think bus. peter you've got a ton of stuff in your bus you got you know from reflective paint to in-floor heating in retrospect is there anything else yeah. that you think you would do differently on the bus um you know it's all stood up so well um i can't say i, I wish i'd done something differently in, in in the structure um i i think one place i i, I curtailed the possible um the options in the layout by sticking with the entry uh you know cab forward design you come in right beside the engine and then you uh you know, you turn and you turn left and you go down into the clinic. Well, you know, sometimes you see these other buses and they're set up with a, a door uh, in the middle, somewhere in the middle of the bus. And it's, I think, as a safety, you know, requirement at some point to, 
that starting to become more common. So I think if I if I standing back from it again, just for my purposes, I think I might have been able to squeeze in three dental chairs if I'd gone to uh, mid entry uh, and a, and a slide out. And of course, slide outs weren't really what they are today in the RV industry. You know, you can buy campers with slide outs and all kinds of sizable rigs have a, have a slide out. It's not that difficult to make a slide out. I haven't looked at what they do. Uh, you could probably get the machinery together for just a few thousand dollars and it could really improve the traffic flow. And the, and the other thing is I, I was sort of linear in my thinking and dental chairs are, the front one is oriented fore and aft. Uh, and, you know, the, the wheel wells intrude upon the space, so it kind of dictates where things can go. But the back chair is is uh, is oblique and in a much smaller space. So I'm pretty sure if I had a central entry and three oblique uh, operatories, I could and a slide out to pass back and forth between them. I could I could have one more chair. And now that's a lot of it's improved efficiency. And you know having having two chairs, one I work in and one I I clean in, as it were. Um, so it's always time pressure to to get the chair you're working in finished uh, so you can do the next patient. So if you had two working chairs like that, it'd be a lot easier set up to, to operate. You know, if they, if they ever come to me from China and they want to do a fleet of buses to treat people in the mountains, that's what I would say. Do a side entry and put in three operatories on the blue. But of course, that's all climate dictated. And a lot of the third world where they're doing this kind of work, um, you know, doing uh, less than fully housed dental practices, um, they're, you know, they're, they're moderate climates and people are happy to sit in a chair out in the, outside. So, they, you know, it's kind of set up a tent and go to work. You know, hardly need all the protection and chassis that, you know, is required to for our standard of dentistry here. And, you know, if I was doing dentistry, out, you know, under a tent, I, I don't think I'd be anywhere right now. The bus has been really acceptable to these people. And, and it's a very wonderful, you know, creative, intellectually advanced uh, uh, non-conformist group of people. It's super fun to know these people and be part of the community. Uh, it changes you as a person to be hanging out with people that have made a decision to be very independent in their life. And uh, politically and economically, they're all, you know, cut from a very individualistic kind of stock. And it's fun to be with those kind of people. So, but as far as the bus goes, uh, you know, I pretty well do it all over the same, uh, you know, all the systems and, uh, you know, how to, how to make it simple to fix and uh, and easy to maintain. And I would say for other anybody else doing a conversion, you know, you should quickly form a relationship of trust with someone in the heavy heavy duty garage, because sooner or later you're going to have to talk to somebody who knows something you don't. And uh, you know, have having I have a, a a shop that's been running this the second bus for whatever oh, 17 years now. I just there yesterday actually, and you know, doing a commercial vehicle inspection on it I have to do that twice a year and so you know uh, they know where these these rigs go wrong and uh, you know what if they do go wrong it can be very expensive very inconvenient you're, if you're stuck someplace and you can't get a tow uh, you know you've got to bring a mechanic to you and it can get really out of hand so I'd say uh, you know, preemptively get your rig in really good shape uh, and, and find a, a garage and if you're going someplace that's beyond the reach of that garage well then find out who they'd recommend in the next city or wherever you're going and, you know. Yeah. For a piece of advice, you're, uh, you're about the third one now, I believe that recommended that making those relationships with those mechanics and people who can service the bus and being proactive by getting your bus serviced really prevents a lot of 
troubles down the road and a lot of financial troubles down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, corrosion, things like, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, there's an anti-corrosion component in, in antifreeze, but I don't know how many gallons of antifreeze this bus needs. It's a 534 cubic inch gasoline engine that's converted to propane. Um, I think it's it's got to be you know eight gallons of antifreeze in it with all the all the heaters that run back into the chassis. So you don't want to you don't want to let that go because if that starts to go, uh, you got a big radiator core to deal with. And so one thing that a heavy duty mechanic do, does they they take a little sample of your antifreeze and they can tell you when it's depleted. But instead of changing it out, they can add an anti corrosion uh, inhibitor. Uh, and uh, keep that antifreeze going. So stuff like that. I didn't know you could do that, but uh, you know, that's something Very that cool. you can do. So Peter, for you, what do you see for the future? Dentistry, mm -hmm. bus, what do you see? Uh, oh, well, I'm on the, this will probably be my last year working. Uh, you know, I, I don't want the intensity anymore. And, and I have all these other projects that are calling me like, I'm, uh, I have a new boat that I've designed and made a model of and, and uh, I'm sending it around through my friends to see if, what they think. And so I got that to build. And then I'm also, I got into motorcycles um, after many years of not doing it while I had my, my young, young family. So, and I thought, well, I'm, I, I, something I really enjoy. And if I hurt myself, well, I've had like, such a good life and, you know, but I love it so much that it's worth it. So um, I got a I got a motorcycle, a 250 Honda CBR. It's kind of a miniature race rock, you know, uh, cross rocket kind of bike. I have a lot of fun with that. And uh, and then I have a BMW 750 that I'm making into a cafe racer. So that's uh, that's that's fun too. So I like building stuff that that you eventually get to work on. And uh, and so I don't think I'll have any trouble keeping busy. But uh, having run a bus here, you know, I used to think it'd be fun to have a recreational bus, but um, you know, we're pretty tied into the land. We have a big garden, and and uh, um, I, I think you know there's so many uh, good RVs out there that that you can take a hold of, but nothing chassis-wise will be as good as a bus. So if you're a long time, you know, if you're committed to being on a on a on a large RV vehicle for a long time, I think the bus is the best way to go, and you'll have a way better time with it than the the, the stuff they sell for a hundred thousand dollars. You know that. So, so Peter, if there's a dentist out there listening in the, in the uh, Canadian Schoolie podcast uh, universe, and they think that this might be a cool fit yes. for them, would you sell your bus when you're done with it at the yeah. end of your, uh, your work? What do you think you're going to do with the bus? Well, I'm, I, uh, you know, I was, I had a, this, this was to be my year to, to, uh, to go ahead and, put it seriously i've had it assessed i've had the standard practice people come in and count count beans and everything and tell me what it's worth so we have a price um but covid really threw it off and i had a couple of meetings where i was going to bring the bus and give a talk at the same time have a walk through on the bus and i i thought i would try and find someone locally so they could just run this as a as a, a what they call a satellite clinic and they wouldn't necessarily have to have it as their only thing and and uh, they could send an associate out to to operate it because it's really important to the islanders you know, they're, they, they've accepted it very deeply. And uh, this last year, I'm having a lot of gratitude for people 
for the work I've done. And, and uh, people are saying, I don't know what we'll do without you and so on and so forth. Very nice, very gratifying. But the bus belongs here. It, you know, I might be able to sell it to a native band or something, but, you know, it's, uh, it, really, it, it fits this niche so well. It's a turnkey operation. It, all the bugs are out. Um, it doesn't cost very much, very low overhead compared to, I think, a, it's like a real life overhead instead of these kind of astronomical overheads you have in a dental practice. And uh, so I can work three days a week, uh, 10 months of the year, take a lot of time off in the summer, I set my days how I want, go, go sailing for a week. Um, it's a great life, you know, with great people that you really like to be with. And uh, so, you know, someone who's slogging it out in a, in a mall practice and paying $3,000 a month in rent and endless big bills like that, you know, this is, this is a much more livable alternative. And I, you know, by, by virtue of biking back and forth and, you know, working not, not more than an older body can take, you know, and keeping fit, it's, uh, you can live long and well. And all this business of, you know, earn hard and fast and quit at 55, you know, make the work something you despise and want to get over. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to do it so you enjoy your, your every minute and you put quality into everything you do. And uh, that becomes inherently rewarding and you don't have to fight to go to work. You, you, you're, you're getting something out of it. So that's what I would say to a dentist who's in an urban setting and, and not having fun. It's like you, uh, you might be flooded with requests after this. You never know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hope, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm open. <laughs> I just need one person that says, yeah, I want to do this. And someone who can take on a challenge because it's not everybody can get past the idea that, that a bus is feasible. And, you know, most people with today's cars, especially, I would say, if you're a millennial and you didn't grow up in the in the area when people played with their cars like they did when I was growing up, um, you know, you're used to not being able to do anything mechanical. And, and here this is big mechanical device with lots of subsystems. It, it can be off-putting, but honestly, uh, it's maybe once a month I have to do something that takes 20 minutes. You know, it's, and it, it's, it's all basic hardware store, domestic stuff that's there's nothing complicated or weird. What, what I find complicated and weird is all the digital stuff. That stuff is really hard to figure out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Trying to do this. So Peter, what would you suggest? I always ask my yeah. guests um, if there are other people within either the school, the community or the bus community or just people that you would recommend. It could be within your profession of dentistry. Who would you recommend? Maybe like one or two or three people that are out there that you'd recommend people to uh, to look up to Google in any any world in, in your in circle that world? you follow. Uh, you always are going and researching and learning new things. Where do you go to do that kind of stuff? Who do you follow? Mm -hmm. Well, in dentistry, I always uh, I'm stuck with Raymond Bertolotti. Uh, he's Californian and. Uh, a maverick from the word go when everybody else was doing silver filling he said oh, let's do let's do the white materials and you know there was a huge pushback now of course nobody does amalgam or silver fillings everyone's doing the white material raymond's the guy with the leading edge so he hangs out with people who are really changing the way the game is being played uh, and he's also he isn't that primarily devoted to um to low-cost industry which is the way i've been working my my expertise but um he's a guy with innovation you know always at the forefront if it can bring an easier faster stronger result and, and of course you can decide when you've got your easier faster result is it are you going to charge that to the benefit of yourself or are you going to reduce the fee to the patient so you know you gotta you gotta have a bit of a heart behind you to 
to work to work the best out of it. But anyway, that's Raymond Bertolotti. He's he's wonderful. And another person in dentistry wise was a big influence to me was uh, Dr. Richard Tucker. And he's he's passed away now. But in his day, he was the foremost expert in the world of uh, cast gold method, which is you know very old school in its in its in its roots. Um, but it it does what it, in with a with a very high dollar price what i like to do with at a lower dollar price and that is it saves tooth structure and and he was a, a such a wonderful gentleman he was i had the, the privilege of working uh, in one of his courses for a, uh, a whole week and uh, learned so much that it become the cornerstone of my practice so i'm i'm sort of the richard tucker of white fillings is how i like to think of what i do and uh, so his his genius, I would say, I don't claim to be any kind of a genius, I just work hard, uh, was that he he took the hard parts of that method and made them easily accomplished. So he had, in the end, 66 study clubs around the world, in Italy and Brazil and everywhere. And uh, very, you know, very high integrity person has, you cannot mention his name in dentistry without commanding respect. And uh, he's an honorary member of all kinds of groups. And, and uh, so... If, if you know of Richard Tucker, if you're a dentist, you know Richard Tucker, um, you kind of would sort of get what I'm talking about here. Um, yeah, I don't know in terms of, uh, you know, I haven't met very many figures who 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 do buses um, uh, to any great extent. I mean, there are a lot of the people who do buses that I've that I've met are uh, are, you know individualist to the core and I celebrate that that's that's a good thing um, but uh, kind of uh, you know individuals tend to be um, can be less sociable you know so I've never sort of hung out with them uh, as a group and there is no group that I know of in in, in BC that's for sure so uh, yeah yeah I, yeah, I think it's sure. something that's evolving maybe with the use of technology because I've spoken to a lot of people who say, you know, my grandfather had a bus or my dad had a bus and piled the kids in it in the 80s and traveled across the country. And it seems like there's these pockets all over the place. Uh, but in the, you know, the 80s, the 70s, there wasn't this digital network to be able to share those stories. It might have been your neighbor. But now having accessibility to these tools, being able to bring that community together and start sharing those stories, it really opens up the borders within our own country to see who's out there and what they're doing. Yeah. No, I think I really applaud what you're doing. I think it's an excellent thing and, you know, can be, uh, who knows what the, the impact of that will be over time. And one more thing I would say about the bus itself, you know, I chose at the, t I chose a bus that was available. It has some nice vintage lines to it. I, I liked it as an art piece and I knew I was only going to go about 700 kilometers a year. So I didn't care about fuel economy. And I, yeah, I get about a kilometer, a liter to the kilometer or nearby equivalent. So that's, you know, you wouldn't want to travel like that for far. So definitely diesel is where you go. You can get up to like 10 miles a gallon, let's say, which would be about, you know, 10 times better um, or four times better rather than what I'm able to do. And uh, nowadays, you know, electronically controlled diesel, that motor is going to have another 250,000 kilometers in it. But, you know, at the at the 20 year mark, they have to x-ray the frame, do all this stuff to comply with safety regulations. So they generally tend to run 20 years and then they're gone. And what you would buy a gas bus for two thousand dollars, you might get a, a diesel one for seven. And if you tend to travel with it, that's the way to go.
Yeah, well, I always thought that propane would have a a pretty good future. Um, and I was wrong on that one. You know, somehow because you can generate methane, which is the principal component, um, you, uh, you can you can imagine that could be biogas or you know, derived from uh, landfills, you know, taking gas off a landfill. Uh, so I, I, I always, and it burns so clean. Like, you know, the, I never have to do an oil change because of dirty oil. It, it, the oil is still perfectly yellow. Uh, after I think I've run five years on this, 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 this oil, the oil in the, in the, in the sump. So there's no, there's no ash, there's no carbon in, a, in burning a gas that, that, that small a molecule. Whereas you know, sure. diesel, as you know, it's really dirty uh, in terms of, yeah. So, but uh, you know, the, the world has not turned to biogas. Um, you know, we're, we're basically headlong, headlong to the cliff as far as, uh, you know, climate change goes and, and, it's very distressing to me at this point to see all the opportunities that have been missed along the way to to rethink our transportation. I mean, we have a plug-in hybrid. We have, my wife has an, an e-bike. Um, you know, I ride a, a motorcycle. I can get you know two hundred kilometers for seven dollars. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't use a lot of fuel uh, in my day-to-day -day life. But but uh, it's surprising how society has not. I mean, the manufacturers are doing better, but overall, it's not. It's not a. It's not a not a significant push to consciously make a change there and it, i don't know the older you get the more you think well life should have turned out a little different you know and or could have and you know technological change to clean up our climate emissions is not it, it's not even you can't even say it's lacking it's like it's not even acknowledged as this is something as a society we ought to do well you have a pretty cool practice and a pretty th cool thing going out in bc there peter it's pretty unique well if you ever out, come on, come on by and have a look, and uh, I can send you more pictures and stuff if you if you ever go to visuals. Um, it's you know, it's uh, I had a lot of fun. I found the every every year I worked on it, it got I got more and more uh, satisfaction out of the building of it, and uh, you know I set up my tools under a tarp alongside the bus, and I'd come home from work and put an hour in or two, the odd weekends, you know I do things and just kept it rolling and. Uh, and by the time I finished, it was like one of the grooves. I just loved to be in that groove of the building of it. And, uh, you know, if it, it set the stage for me as a person to be a fully competent problem solver because there's no manual on how to do these things. So you, you, you box yourself into a corner where the last thing you need to install is a wastebasket and the space is only is triangular. So there's no triangular wastebaskets. How do you manage that, right? You've got to have a wastebasket. It has to be ergonomic and, and, and efficient and safe and hygienic. And how do you do that? So, you know, I, so when I came back to just doing dentistry as my main creative thing, I found I was way more uh, skillful at managing the frustration that comes out when you've done something like that. And, you, you know, they've got nine, nine steps you're trying to accomplish and you've missed on one of them. Uh, how do you compensate for that? And, you know, the, the process of building a, something, the scale of a school bus into something that's fully functional, it's, it, it's going to change you as a person and certainly different. Yeah. I, I, I'd spent a lot of time hanging out in uh, that world that before I went too far, um, you know, look at, look at buses, talk to people that have done them, uh, just get a foot in the door and start hunting around and see what, what appeals, um, uh, you know, graph paper, uh, learn to measure everything. So how high is a seat off the ground? How many inches between, your butt in the floor and uh, 
you know, how long a bunk can you sleep in and, and all those different things that r relate to dimensions. Cause once you're inside that fixed, uh, you know, steel envelope, um, you have to, you have to be, make good calls on, on everything. And, uh, and so, you know, just the hardest part for most people is starting and, and, you know, the next hardest thing is keeping going. So you have to, you have to overcome both of those tendencies to lose interest and uh, burn out. And if it's straining your relationship, well, you, you know, it is a strain and uh, relationships are hard. So it won't be the last thing that a couple has to face. And, uh, and who knows who you run into? Like in my case, it started my teaching career. Um, somebody came in, liked the bus, talked to me. They were in organized dentistry in a big way and they took me to the floor and I stayed there for 20 years. So, you know, be prepared to have your life Very cool. And Good and advice. So, Peter, people can uh, go to your website at Peter uh, Walford Dentistry if they uh, wish to contact you. And yeah, yeah, for me, uh, when we make it out to British Columbia, we're looking to maybe take a year off school and travel the country in a few years. So one of the places where we were hoping to go is out to BZ for sure. So we'll, uh, we'll be looking you up and finding you somewhere on the Gulf Islands. No, you're on a different island. What was the island you're on? Yeah, what are, the Gulf Islands are, the, there's the Southern Gulf Islands mm. and the Northern Gulf Islands. So we're in the Northern ones. And the dividing point is Nanaimo, which is sort of mid-island. That's where the big the big ferry runs from Vancouver. And then you turn left to go to Victoria, you turn right to go to- How Canada, far are you from Comox? the way north. Uh, we can see it from the beach here. Uh, it's about uh, 13 uh, So my wife's oh, sorry, uh, grandparents, they uh, lived in Comox for years. And uh, we were out there a few winters ago. It was beautiful. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a nice yeah. town and great climate. Lots of things to do. Pretty land. There's everything going here. You can micro brews and 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 organic farms and it's uh, you know, clean air. It's pretty safe. When I was a kid, uh, I was in Sea Cadets uh, in Cape Breton Island, and I was able to go out to um, Quadra Island where they have the uh, military base and they had a summer camp there just outside of Comox. It was pretty, pretty cool to see. Oh, is that right? Eh? Okay. Gorgeous. Absolutely. Well, you know how beautiful the waters are yeah. out here then. My God. I mean, Canada's we're, we're latitude challenged. So it's, it's crummy weather. It's probably not as bad as Cape Breton in the winter here, but it, there's storms and it's cold. And yeah, the, the islands are, Maritime, definitely maritime. Uh, I cool. Think for the well, day. Peter, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day in BC to share your thoughts and knowledge and wisdom and experience with the folks across Canada and around the world. All right. Take Happy care, day. buddy.